0: Jesse, last week's roommate drama was so much more complicated than it initially
1: seemed. What's the story this week? When a pregnant young woman disappears while jogging in the park, the public fears an abduction by a stranger. While the police focus on someone closer to home and the dark and deadly secrets that that loved one might have been keeping. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey. And this is Love Murder. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about high school sweethearts, deadly deceptions, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram
0: at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love
1: Murder Podcast. And as always, if you enjoy this show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app. Subscribe and review to help new people discover the show, which you all did so well in 2021. Seriously. Thank you. Wow. I just don't even know how you can outdo yourselves in 2022, <laughs> but I'm willing to find out. You always love a challenge. <laughs> I hope you guys do too. Speaking of this Unprecedented times that we are living in right now. Thank you so much for joining the Facebook discussion group. I have been hanging around there a lot. I know Andy very much appreciates the memes I more do. than anything. you yes, yeah. well, and <laughs> the support obviously. But
0: yeah, the memes, yes. the memes cracking. Yeah, pregnant.
1: yeah, you guys are hilarious. So definitely, if you haven't already and you're on Facebook, please join that group. It's a great place to leave those hilarious memes, of course, but also to give me recommendations and send me. Articles and even talk about it, post about it, and talk about it with other like minded lovers. Totally. It's awesome. It's really fun. We're actually recording this on New Year's Eve. Happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year's Eve. By the time you guys hear this, you will be already a few days into the new year, but I am going to. Play some Magic the Gathering (laughs) tonight. That's my wild New Year's plan. Uh, Andy, what are you doing? I think we're watching a Nick
0: Cage film at like seven. Oh, speaking of memes. Okay, which one? Uh, The new one, the unbearable weight of whatever, of being famous or being extraordinarily famous. Okay, so
1: I was very skeptical when I heard about the conceit of the the movie. Yeah. But then I saw the trailer and it looks really good. It does. It looks really funny. Okay, Andy, you'll have to tell us next week how it was. Full review coming in hot. Yes, very excited about that. I'm also excited that this is a double listener recommendation story today. Ooh. Yes, so thank you to Nikki R. and Leslie. Very much appreciate you bringing this case to my attention. It was a meet-cute to end all meet-cutes. A sweet setup more likely to be featured on the Hallmark Channel than on a true crime podcast. Lori Suarez, a bright, beautiful brunette with cascades of curly hair, was a sophomore in high school when she went on a camping trip with her fellow Orem High students. With the stunning backdrop of the Utah wilderness, the kids hiked and they laughed, they flirted and gathered around the fire to tell ghost stories. One of the boys, a rowdy, clumsy, redheaded junior named Mark Hacking, burned his hand while turning a log over in the campfire. Out, she cried holding the blistering wound up. His friends laughed and jeered. They were used to Mark's foolhardy mishaps. But Lori, who had been a stranger up until this point, immediately jumped into action, grabbing a first aid kit and taking charge by attending to Mark's burn. They introduced themselves, Mark's large hand being bandaged by Lori's small deft ones. She promised to distract him from the pain, and she made good on that promise. The two spoke throughout the night, long after the other campers had climbed into their sleeping bags, and the fire that had brought them together sputtered out and died. The next day, Lori called her mother, Thelma. Mom, she said, I met a boy. His name is Mark. And from that moment on, Thelma didn't ever hear about another boy again. Whoa hmm Mark and Lori accomplished a rare feat in this day and age. They were high school sweethearts joined together by mutual values and dreams of the future who had managed to successfully grow together into a happily married couple. But just when they were on the precipice of making all of those dreams a reality, a baby and the beginning of medical school, one of their lives would be cut tragically short, and the shocking deception behind the murder would rock the nation. So let's start by talking about our girl, Lori Suarez. Lori was born on New Year's Eve 1976 in California and adopted by Thelma and Araldo Suarez. Four months later, she was the second child in the family. Older brother, Paul, had been adopted seven years earlier. Devout Mormons, Thelma and Araldo had prayed for a sibling for Paul for those seven years. Deliverance of their dreams coming by the way of Lori's 13-year-old birth mother who gave the Suarez family the greatest gift imaginable. The whole family called Lori an angel baby. The home was a happy one for many years. Eraldo and Thelma had met in Eraldo's native Brazil while doing Mormon missionary work. Thelma learned Portuguese and the children became fluent as well. Unfortunately, the couple eventually grew apart and divorced when Lori was in the fifth grade. Eraldo stayed in California with Paul, who was nearing graduation and leaving for his own mission trip, while Thelma and Lori moved to Orem, Utah to be near like-minded Mormons. Though the split and the move were initially traumatic for Lori, who was very close with her father, she eventually shone in her new setting. Lori was not only outgoing and pretty, she was also extremely intelligent. And I mean both in the book smart way and the emotional intelligence way. Okay, yeah, I
0: feel like that's rare where you're
1: both book and street smart. Exactly. And that's, that was definitely what people found. Like not only did she excel academically, but there was a great understanding she had of others and she had a lot of kindness. Cool. Due to that rare combination, she became the ninth grade class president. Lori had a great work ethic as well. She excelled academically while working at a part-time job at a car wash. Eraldo gave his baby girl a blue Volkswagen bug when she got her license. So cute. It's also the early 90s. Remember those bugs were the thing? Yeah.
0: Uh, The girl that drove me to school my freshman year, she was a junior. And she had one of those like really bright blue bugs with like all the red lights. And I just like Mm -hmm. vividly remember it. It was such a cool, cool car. And it had the little bud vase. I don't know if you remember, but there was a little bud vase on the like dash where all the radio and everything was. And you put like a fake flower in it. What? Uh Okay. I never saw the inside of them because I don't think they had them where I grew up. (laughs) No one was that cool. (laughs) Yeah. She had, and I remember she had a little um, flower out of the like bud vase, but you could put whatever in it, but it was just such a cool detail.
1: Oh, that is awesome. And so now you can imagine Lori, she has got this like Big, big, mass of beautiful, dark curls, like she's whipping around in this cool car, windows open, hair flying everywhere. I mean, this is the girl you'd want to be, you'd want to be friends with, right? Lori, like her parents, was a devout Mormon who hit it off with Mark Hacking right away after meeting him on the school camping trip. Mark was from a large and well-respected Mormon family himself. His mother was a nurse and his father a renowned pediatrician in the area. The Hackings clearly loved children because they had seven of them. Oh my God. Yep. Mark was one of the youngest of the four boys and three girls. I also learned from the book I used, which I'm going to give you the, the sources at the end because the um, title kind of gives something away. But the author is Stephen Young, and he used another fun acronym for, well, alternative acronym for BMW. Oh, no. For those those eagle-eared listeners, you may remember the truly ridiculous BMW mentioned in episode, I think, 16. Celeste Beard? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how could we forget? I'm not going to tell you guys. If you haven't listened, you have to go back and listen and and find the BMW in that story. It's worth Uh, it. (laughs) It does not stand for the German motor car. (laughs) Anyway, so Steve Young also introduced me to a new acronym. I guess sometimes in Utah, like large vehicles, whether they're like vans or SUVs or whatever they're called, some people call them BMW, which stands for Big Mormon Wagon. Huh. Yeah, that one's a little less fun than Celeste. Yeah, Celeste is a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the Hackings are one of those large, happy families. Mark was a tall and stocky kid with red hair, freckles, and a broad smile on his friendly face. Mark was a generally smart attention seeker who happened to be fairly accident prone, hence the burned hand at the camping trip. He had a good sense of humor about his clumsiness, which eventually translated into him becoming a pretty great storyteller and all around cut up. Like people just described him as the life of the party, the guy that would stand up and, like, give a speech and have all the good jokes, you know? Yep. Even as teenagers, Lori and Mark were aligned in their vision of the future. After high school graduation in the mid-90s, they wanted to pursue a traditional Mormon life with dual incomes. Lori was attracted to the world of finance, while Mark hoped to follow in his father's footsteps to medicine. Mark's brother had also become a doctor. He was a cardiologist. Well, another achieved his master's in electrical engineering, and yet his third brother eventually worked for the Department of Defense in D.C. Whoa. Heavy hitters. Yes, this is not altogether a very impressive family. Yeah. The first step to building the life that they wanted was for Mark to leave on his mission trip, which is not only an honor, but a rite of passage for many, many young Mormon men. A mission is usually a two-year assignment, somewhere domestic or international, where the goal is to spread the Mormon gospel and convert new members. So I did look into this and I was like, is it only guys? Women can be missionaries as well, but it's less common. In 2007, only 13% of Mormon missionaries were single young women. It is almost overwhelmingly young men with some older retired couples. Interesting. Doing it as well. Huh. Mm-hmm. Successful mission can bring great pride and benefits to a Mormon individual and their family. Unfortunately for the Hackings, Mark was decidedly unsuccessful, getting sent home early in disgrace. Oh no, what happened? Uh Uh-huh. Later, Dr. Hacking would say... Kind of obliquely. In 1996, Mark was sent home from an LDS mission for failing to live up to the high standards expected from missionaries called to represent the church. So that statement that tells us nothing about what really happened was quite an understatement as Mark apparently, having tasted some freedom, was drinking, smoking, and allegedly having sex with some of the women he had recruited. Oh, no. Yeah. That's really uh, bad. Yeah. There was one article from the New York Post that alleged he was having sex with his recruits. Other sources just said that he was spending the night in women's apartments and they did not say explicitly whether or not there was sexual intercourse. So I only had one source that said he was actively having sex with some of his recruits. So who knows? But something untoward was happening here. And I mean, even if he wasn't you know, having sex with these women behind Lori's back, by the way, they were long distance dating. They're still not supposed to be smoking and drinking, you know? No. And also the fact that it's people that he recruited is really gross. Yeah. That was what I read in the New York Post article. Yeah. So this was not what he told Lori, of course. He did not tell her that he was sent home for smoking, drinking and effing. He told her, and this is when she was a freshman at Webster State University, that his roommate had been engaging in these illicit behaviors and had tried to throw the blame on Mark, resulting in both men being sent home. Like, basically, they said, like, I don't trust either one of you guys. Something bad happened here. You both have to go home. Yep. Yeah. So the lies are starting. In case I... (laughs) Not gonna make it clear who, who was lying in this relationship. It's, we're starting at Mark. Was it Mark? <laughs> was it Mark? I don't even know why I try. Let I don't even guess. know. Why I try guess. <laughs> yeah. So Lori's college roommates at the time said that she was skeptical of this story, but she did ultimately choose to believe him and continue the relationship. After a year at Weber State, Lori transferred to University of Utah, where she majored in business and made Dean's List every semester that she was at school. Good for her. She's a smart cookie. (laughs) Meanwhile, around the time that Mark was sent home, he also suffered a really bad fall from a roof that he was working on, resulting in a concussion, a seizure, and a broken back. Oh my God. Yeah, it wasn't super clear to me because I I read a couple different accounts. and, And one account said that this happened while he was on his mission trip and they kind of attributed being sent home to his injuries. But then I read another account that made it sound like it happened after he had gone home and he was working before going back to school. Okay. So I'm not really sure when this incident happened, but it will factor into some things later on. Okay. I mean, brain injuries always do. Lori and Mark only grew closer at this time as she helped him recover and they began to plan a future for Mark by enrolling him in University of Utah as well. They also took a very important step in their personal lives when they wed in August of 1999 in a beautiful temple ceremony in Bountiful, Utah. Both families were elated by their new in-law. They were just such a promising young couple and they had elected to stay in the faith and carry on the values that they'd been raised with, which you can imagine is any parent's dream, no matter what values and religion you raise your kids in, you know? The wedding occurred shortly before Lori graduated with honors from U of Utah, and Mark secured them an apartment in Salt Lake City by agreeing to manage the small apartment complex while also being a full-time student. So often on our show, the honeymoon period is short-lived. I mean, how many times have I said (laughs) those exact words? A lot. Lots. But- In this case, it was really a happy time for Lori and Mark. All of their friends and family said that they were genuinely just delighted with each other. They had so much fun. They had, you know, a two bedroom apartment. So oftentimes friends and family would go over for dinner. They'd spend the night. Even I guess her older brother, Paul, went through a divorce and he ended up staying with them for a little while. And so he's living in the home with them and he's witnessing them day to day. And he was like, they genuinely have so much affection for each other. I have a lot of respect for Mark. He's kind of like a jack of all trades. He was just good at so many things he said. And yeah, the whole family really liked Mark. And of course, Mark's family was obsessed with Lori, but I think everyone was. She's so cute. She's like tiny. I think she was like 105, 110 pounds, but like 5'4 with this big, beautiful hair and gorgeous face, you know? So cute. Yeah, Lori and Mark were active in their church, both had close friends, and they even took up running as a couple. So they joined several 10Ks together. Okay. That's like such a hobby for couples, running. <laughs> it is. I feel really? like definitely too in Utah because it's so scenic. It's so pretty. There's so many places that you can get outdoors and run and hike. And also if they're devout Mormons, they don't drink or smoke. Yeah. So I feel like- They wake up you every morning. Just adopt more of a- yeah. <laughs> feeling good and feeling like running. So funny. I love you. I don't know if it's if Charles Bukowski or Oscar Wilde. I think it's Oscar Wilde who said, gosh, guys, I could be totally wrong, but the quote's good. Okay. He said, I feel bad for people who don't drink when they wake up in the morning. It's the best they're going to feel all day. <laughs> that sounds like Bukowski. I know. I, I don't. I can't remember uh, which <laughs> it is. Lori landed a great job as a stockbroker's assistant at Wells Fargo, where she was extremely well-liked and very proficient at her work. Mark beefed up his medical resume by working as an orderly at a psychiatric hospital while finishing his undergraduate degree. So this is like an ideal, young, professional couple right now. Exactly. As Mark's graduation approached, he flew out to several East Coast medical schools to interview, once staying with Lori's cousin while he toured Columbia, and another time bringing Lori along with him for his appointment at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill School of Medicine. That is where he was ultimately accepted. And Lori and Mark were both really excited about this because they did like North Carolina a lot. Okay. Laurie and the rest of the hacking clan were thrilled by his acceptance. They threw him a huge party and his parents I guess gave him an engraved stethoscope to celebrate his bright future, which I'm sure also they were so excited to have another doctor in the family. For sure, that's such a like doctor gift. <laughs> such a doctor present? Yeah, no, nobody who's not a doctor as a parent would think to get that present when your kid is when your kid gets into medical school. So they decided that Lori would quit her job, move to North Carolina, where Mark was enrolled, and they would finally even try for a baby that they had been putting off as they established their careers. So it was a really exciting time in the couple's young lives. All of their hard work and careful planning seemed to be working out perfectly as they found an apartment in North Carolina and Lori put in her notice at work. But not before she told some close coworkers, as well as her family and friends, that she was in the very early weeks of her pregnancy in July of 2004. Oh, that was like us. Yeah, it was like us. It's like way too early to talk about, but she was just so excited. She couldn't help it, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. At the time of like mid-July, like when she first started telling people, she was like only five weeks along. Like she hadn't even gone to a doctor yet. But she showed Mark's sister, who I guess lived in the same apartment complex, her positive pregnancy test. She had made an appointment to go see the doctor. And Mark, I guess, had told Lori's mother. So they were starting to tell friends and family. Okay, Her coworkers said that she was already glowing with happiness, except for Friday, July 16th, when colleagues reported that she left work early in tears after taking a phone call. Whatever had been bothering her enough to leave work early had clearly resolved itself by that night, however, because Mark and Lori arrived at the going away party that her co-workers had planned for her in fine spirits. So... Nobody found out really what had been bothering her that day. And I think somebody asked and she's like, oh, it was just a silly miscommunication. Everything's fine now. And they seemed totally normal. Okay. That Sunday night, Mark and Lori went to a convenience store. And while Lori was picking out soft drinks, Mark reportedly went to the clerk at the counter to pointedly tell him not to mention that he was frequently there to buy cigarettes. Come on. So, what,
0: like, Mark why is been, a like dude gonna be like,
1: "Hey, you're the guy who comes in here and always gets <laughs> cigarettes"? Well, I guess I mean I was thinking about that too, and I was thinking that you know he could be checking out and be like, "Oh, you want a pack of Parliament's too, chief?" You know? Yeah, but like then he could just say, "No, thanks," and not you make must it have weird. me mistaken with yeah. another <laughs> disgusting man who smokes cigarettes. <laughs> it's like. He's making it a bigger Not deal. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's um a show that I watched too. So guys, there's a book that I'll talk to you about at the end. I also watched A Lie to Die For, which is an oxygen show. I also used an AE true crime blog article about this case by Sarah Kettler. And I extensively plumbed Metapedia and Wikipedia. <laughs> so they were both very helpful. <laughs> So he was kind of like, hey, bro, don't say anything about me smoking cigarettes. So that's lie number two. We know he lied to Lori about his mission trip. And now he has lied to her about continually smoking cigarettes, which he told her he did not. Also, like, I could not imagine being with a smoker and not knowing. So it sounded like they had opposite work schedules. She obviously worked during the day. She worked a very early time at uh, Wells Fargo. She started at 7 a.m. I'm sure that's... Because you have to be on East Coast time for, you know, the stock exchange. So she would go to work at seven, but he worked nights at the psychiatric hospital. Still,
0: like the clothes and everything, I feel like they always smell like... When I'm somewhere where there's someone smoking, I like can smell it for days. Yeah. I mean,
1: he must have smoked, literally gone home, washed the clothes he had been wearing. Yeah, had to. Like took a shower, you know, the whole nine yards. Dedication right there. So yeah, the convenience store security camera footage captured the couple somewhere around 9.30 that night. And this would be the last known images ever recorded of Lori Suarez hacking a
0: lot.
1: I know, I was rooting for them.
0: Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. Over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet and 95%...
1: not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women 18 and up. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual didn't stop there.
0: They invested in a gold-standard, university-led clinical trial to prove the impact for Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. The results? Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. Andy, you know how I feel about Ritual Vitamins. It's the same as I feel. I'm so glad we found them for our pregnancy.
1: Ugh, game changers, which of course led me to do their postnatal and now their Women's Essential.
0: (laughs) Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash lovemurder and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash lovemurder.
1: When it comes to podcasts covering mystery and murder, Generation Y is a true original. If you're obsessed with crime and unsolved murder cases, and who isn't? This show has it all. Hosts Aaron and Justin cover cases from all
0: angles. They break down theories, dive deep into forensic evidence, and discuss their opinions on the
1: most perplexing cases. Andy, you know one of the things I look for most in a true crime show is the rapport between the two hosts and how they both can add something to the conversation. Absolutely. It is so important. In a recent episode, Aaron and Justin look into the case of Lori DuPont. Lori was a well-respected 37-year-old nurse and a single mother. She met a physician named Mark Daniel at work, and the two hit it off and began a secret relationship. But after a while, the romance cooled, and Mark began harassing Lori at work. Turns out that Mark had a history of dating and being abusive towards nurses. Lori filed for a restraining order, but before a judge could issue it, Mark entered the hospital with a military sword and committed an unthinkable crime. Wow. So these guys are some of the absolute OGs and pioneers of the true crime space. And I think part of that is how much they confront the complexity of these cases with thoughtfulness and empathy, which we always appreciate. Listen to the
0: Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free
1: by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Around 10 a.m. the following day, Monday, July 19th, 2004, Mark called Wells Fargo to see if Lori had shown up for work. So her colleague said that he was kind of weird, like he was like, hey, is Lori there? And they're like, no, she's not here. It's super weird. She's always here at 7 a.m. She's always punctual. She's never not come in or no-showed, no-called, you know? And so he was like, oh, oh, shit. Actually, her work clothes are still here. Oh, no. And they were like, okay, what is going on? So he said that every morning she would go to this place called Memory Grove Park, which apparently had some of the best running trails in the country. Okay. Okay. And so he believed that she had left early to do that. And then she was supposed to go on to work afterwards. That's why he said he assumed that she is there. So he gets transferred to her supervisor. And the supervisor is like, I'm actually really concerned, Mark. You need to hang up the phone right now and call the police. So Mark said that he got off the phone. He called the police. And then he later met up with some of Lori's co-workers at the park to search for Lori. He called the police again at 10.49 a.m., who responded by coming out to the park where Lori's car was eventually found in the parking area. Oh, okay. After a brief interview with Mark, detectives were dispatched to the Hacking's apartment with Mark's consent. While they were poking around the apartment, a full-scale search began at the park. At one point, there were over 3,000 volunteers combing the park looking for Lori. Whoa. That's a lot of people that's so many people. The family held a press conference and Mark appealed several times on news cameras to the public to come and aid the search efforts. The police and the media responded very, very quickly to Lori's disappearance, most likely due to the Elizabeth Smart kidnapping that had occurred just about two years before in the same area. Okay. Do you remember Elizabeth Smart? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure all of you guys do, but just in case you haven't, Elizabeth was a 14-year-old girl who had been abducted from her own home while sleeping by a deranged fundamentalist Mormon and his wife. Uh, Elizabeth was eventually rescued after nine months of total hell. Both Elizabeth and Lori were... Considered good Mormon girls, and both were, of course, attractive white females. Yep. So you can imagine that it created quite a stir in Mormon-heavy Utah when, you know, good girls of the faith go missing. Oh, yeah. It's so scary.
0: I mean, the Elizabeth Smart one being abducted from her house while she was sleeping, like,
1: still terrifies me, especially now having a daughter. Yeah. It's a horrifying thought when you have children. Because you think that their bed is the safest place that they could possibly be. Yeah. So, yeah. So the media is, like, all over this. And I think that's also helped to get people to come out and aid in the search because there was a very real fear that she had just been snatched up while running, you know? There was still hope of finding Lori alive at this point or a slim hope that she could be rescued from a kidnapper like Elizabeth but hopefully much sooner. However, the cops were beginning to get the sinking suspicion that Lori's case was a homicide and not an abduction. Well, let's go over the evidence that the police collected pretty, pretty fast. The first thing that they noticed, because they, you know, got her car right away, was that the driver's seat and the rear view mirror were not set up for somebody of Lori's height. I knew you were going to say that. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, it would seem that the driver would match up more with Mark's height of more than six feet. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yep. They also eventually recovered Lori's car keys inside of the hacking apartment. Now, how would her car keys have gotten back into the home if Lori had supposedly disappeared while running with them in her pocket? They also searched Mark's SUV, where they discovered a receipt for a new mattress, pillows, and linens, and they noted that the time of purchase was 10.23 a.m. that very morning. That was the same time that Mark had claimed to be calling the police and searching the park. This was confirmed by the owners of the sleep store and by the discovery of the brand new mattress in the apartment. Speaking of the apartment, even on a surface-level quick look-see, Detective Kelly Kent could tell that something was very wrong. She discovered, like I said, Lori's car keys and purse, as well as her wedding ring, and she didn't believe that most people take off their wedding ring before they go jogging. Yeah, no.
0: I mean, that's like... Not
1: usually. She also noticed that the sheets were creased as though they had just come out of the package... And this was before they knew for sure he had a new mattress. She was like, first things on spec, people wash their sheets before they put them on the bed. Generally, they don't just take them out of the package, put them on the bed. Yeah, And they looked not slept in, obviously. So that was weird. She said that the bathtub smelled of bleach and there appeared to be a large bouquet of flowers that she's on the the oxygen show. She's really funny. And she was like, you can tell The difference between like, I'm thinking of you like a little bouquet and I really fucked up. There's a big bouquet of flowers. (laughs) These were I fucked up flowers. Oh my God. So she said that she could tell already that even though Mark was saying that they had a perfect marriage and other people were saying that they had a perfect marriage, she already had a feeling that something was not quite right in their marriage. Yeah. And I mean, you know how what we say. You got to trust your gut. Trust your gut. Yeah, they should have followed Detective Kelly Kent's gut a little bit more, as you'll see in the story. Upon further inspection, they found a hunting knife with blood on it in the bedside table. Um, what? And, yeah. And a letter addressed to Mark from Lori that indicated that she was contemplating leaving her husband. The note read, I want to grow old with you, but I can't do it under these conditions. I hate coming home from work because it hurts to be home in our apartment. I can't imagine life with you if things don't change. I got someone I don't want to spend the rest of my life with unless changes are made. Uh. So like I said, this contradicted Mark's statements to the police that the couple had no conflicts in the marriage. In the same interview, Detective Kent had also asked Mark about his career, like, you know, the getting to know you question. So, where does Lori work? What do you do? You know? And he told her that the couple was planning to move to North Carolina, which is why all of their stuff was in boxes at this point. And he said that he was going to enroll in medical school. So, Mark told her that he was planning to specialize in oncology. However, when Detective Kent played a little dumb, she was like, you know, I'm sure this is going to sound stupid, but can you spell oncology for me? He could not spell oncology. Oh, how are you going to specialize in something when you can't even spell the word? It's really sir? also not that hard to spell. It's really not that hard to spell.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine there's some medical fields that are very difficult to spell and that's not one of them.
1: No. So that was another little red flag in Detective Kent's mind, of course. Well, even worse for Mark, the day after the disappearance, the police reviewed surveillance footage from places that Mark would have likely dumped a body, the dumpsters at their apartment complex, a nearby Mormon church, and the hospital that Mark worked at. They got a hit on the last one with very early morning footage of a man who resembled Mark dumping something large oh, and unwieldy into the my hospital God. dumpster. Unfortunately, by the time they discovered the video, the garbage had already been taken to the landfill. Oh no! Yeah, and I and Kelly Kent on the uh, show, she said that she knew very quickly that they were not going to find Lori in the park, and she was like, "We need to start checking dumpsters. We need to tell." the garbage service people that they can't do pickups, we need to get to the landfill right away. And of course, all of that costs an incredible amount of money. It's very disruptive for how any, especially a large city like Salt Lake City runs, you know? So they were like, no, let's hold off until we actually know something's going on and that she's dumped somewhere because we have no nothing at this point, you know? If they had followed up on her gut instinct, they might've found Lori a lot sooner, I feel like. With the cops closing in on him, Mark decided to try his hand at the only option he felt like he had left to avoid hard jail time, to appear insane and go for an insanity defense. Stop. Yeah, so he never explicitly says that this was what he was trying to do, but it seems obvious to a lot of people. And he did work at a psychiatric hospital, so maybe he was thinking he could fake it because he had been around, you know, people who had psychiatric issues before. So late Tuesday night, Mark was found drunk and naked, except for his sandals, wandering the streets near a Salt Lake City motel uh, in a kind of touristy area. What besides his sandals? Yes, yeah, so his sandals are on. What the rest kind of, of his clothes are completely off? I I don't know. I'm imagining Tevas. For I was some imagining. Reason. Don't give Tevas a bad name. Honest. <laughs> I don't know. They seem like a kind of like Utah footwear. They're yeah, outdoorsy. Yeah, but I feel you know? more like.
0: I feel like I want him to be in like rainbow
1: thongs.
0: (laughs) Those are really comfortable. They are, but like, I feel like that's what I want him in.
1: (laughs) Yes. So I do not know what kind of uh, sandals he had. You guys use your imagination, but he is completely nude. Otherwise, he was also like screaming and running around and just acting generally off. So the police did apprehend him and they called his brother They thought already that he was faking it. So they didn't immediately like take him to a psychiatric hospital. They told the family, like, you can take him home. You can take him to a psychiatric hospital if you want, but that's on you. You guys decide. Okay. The Hacking family did decide to hospitalize Mark in a psychiatric facility at this point. He also revealed that he had taken a handful of barbiturates with the alcohol he consumed. So it seems like this was a little bit of a two-pronged strategy. He would either kill himself Or he would look crazy enough to try to convince a jury that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. I see now. I see now. Yep. So he had also written something like a note in his palm pilot that was like, this is justice. So they assumed that this had been something of a suicide note if he had succeeded in killing himself. However, other than maybe his family, no one was buying this psychiatric break, theory that he was having. Former FBI profiler and everyone's favorite Deadly Women host, Candace DeLong, had this to say about Mark. He kept his sandals on. That's not something we usually see in somebody who is truly psychotic. They don't usually take off all their clothes and put their shoes back on. No. When asked if she thought Mark was faking his condition to set up a defense, she replied, I think there's a very good chance that he thought this might work. Yeah. The Hackings and the Suarez families had both been defending Mark vociferously to the Uh, media. It makes me sick when this happens. Lori's mother, Thelma, was like, definitely has nothing to do with my son-in-law. He's an upstanding citizen. He's so upset. Like, we're all upset. Like, they were 100% convinced that she had been abducted (sighs) in the park, you know? Yeah. But... (laughs) Nope. Privately, as time went on, and with Mark's obviously odd behavior they began to have some concerns. So after Detective Kent debriefed Mark's brothers on the evidence against Mark, Lance and Scott decided to gently confront Mark in the hospital. And it sounds like it was more of like less of a a confrontation, like, hey, we know you did this because, you know, the detective gave us this evidence. It was more like, hey, we have heard a lot of things. It doesn't look great. And, you know, God will forgive you. We will forgive you. But we need to find Lori and we need to know what happened. And you love her family and her family deserves to know what happened to her. So they did it like they just really appealed to his sense of humanity. And they knew their brother well because he totally cracked at this point. And he admitted that he had indeed his beautiful wife. Whoa. Yeah, he was like, "Lori's dead. I killed her. Whoa. Could you imagine being the brothers? I mean, at that point, they had still held out hope that there was an explanation. I mean, everyone did and both families. I mean, you just never want to hear this news from somebody you loved and somebody you know was the partner of the deceased person. You know, it's such a betrayal. They must have been horrified. Ugh. But the story came tumbling out And he told them that she would not be found in the park, as he had previously stated. He knew that she would be in a landfill by now. And he told his brothers that.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, is he in the psychiatric hospital now? Yes, he's in the hospital now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it's it's a lot because the brothers have to be sitting there like are you actually sick? Like, are you actually, like, have you actually lost your mind, you know, and you're in this facility? Yeah, and
1: I think his family do believe probably to this day that it might have been a result of the head injury. He might have snapped. He might have yeah. done this. Like, they think that there was certainly something a trigger. Yeah, uh, mentally unwell with, with him. And I think that's what the Hackings have held on to okay. believing because no one wants to believe that the child that they raised, the brother they grew up with, is capable of doing something like this if they're completely, you know, mentally with it. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the only shocking thing. Obviously, finding out that their brother was a murderer was number one shocking, but there was a reason behind the murder that was almost equally shocking. Mark hadn't attended university for over two years. He had faked going to school, even buying textbooks every semester, He had discussed his classes with Lori and her family and his. He even had Lori meet him on campus for lunch. He (laughs) had fooled both families into thinking that he had graduated by faking being sick so convincingly that his dad wrote him a prescription and he was so ill that Lori's mother had to drive to the pharmacy to get the prescription for him. She was like, he was genuinely so ill that he was unable to go to his graduation. And so they had a party for him a week later where he wore his cap and gown and celebrated graduation. Ah. Uh, I mean, that's sounds like deep Ferris Bueller. Yeah. I mean, he went to such great lengths to continue this lie. I mean, literally great lengths. He flew to New York. He flew to North Carolina He didn't have interviews. He didn't have appointments. He never applied to any medical school. He was just like going in the building and wandering around and coming out at a time that seemed appropriate. Oh my God. Wow. He obviously had never been accepted to UNC Chapel Hill as well. And I guess also the authorities did find this out shortly before the confession. So they had gotten word from U of U and UNC Chapel Hill That he hadn't graduated and he had never applied. Wow. So yeah, Mark's deceptive double life had been revealed that Friday, July 16th, when Lori got a call back from UNC's financial aid department. So she had originally called them to say, I'm pregnant now. Is there a different financial aid package for families? You know, can we get more money? And they were like, I I just can't find this guy. And so this woman was like, you know what, let me take your information. I'm gonna go through all of our databases. I'm gonna find out what's going on and why we can't find him and 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 then I'll get back to you about your financial aid package. And the woman had called her back at, at work and she was like, There's just no mark hacking anywhere. He he never applied, hon. Like he's not going to our school at all. Whoa. So that's why she wrote that note. And that's why she left in tears. Yes. However, Mark, being the fantastic and clearly well-practiced liar that he was, he managed to convince her temporarily that it was a total administration error and that everything was getting straightened out and it was totally going to be fine. Yeah, I guess she wrote an email to the person she talked to in the office and was like, it's okay. You know, thanks for bearing with me today. Mark explained everything. Now I know that we're back on track. So he had convinced her somehow. And that's also why she seemed totally normal at the party later that night. Over the weekend, Lori began to pick at the threat of his lies, however. This had not been the first indication of Mark's deception. His mother had once called University of Utah to pay his tuition, and she had been told that he wasn't enrolled. Mark had convinced everyone that there had just been a screw up with his enrollment process. So now Lori was thinking, what are the chances that this happens to a guy twice?
0: Yeah. What's going
1: on? And she is a smart woman, you know, She and 100% smart people. It doesn't matter about intelligence when you're being fooled by your partner and we should be able to trust our partners. So this is not saying that this was like, she should have known or something, but she did at this point start poking holes in his stories, start pushing him for more information, started pointing out all of the inconsistencies. And they ended up arguing for most of the weekend until finally with his back against the wall, Mark admitted that he was not going to medical school. Ugh. Finally, I don't know how much he admitted. I don't know if he was like, I also didn't graduate. We're not going to know just ever. Said. We will never know. So she was, of course, deeply disappointed by this and incredulous and I think it was around this point when she did discover this for sure that she wrote that note. Okay. Later, she was of course spotted that evening at the convenience store with him. You know, they seemed fine. They were interacting normally. And she did go home, maybe gave him the note at this point, we don't know. We know that he read it and she went to sleep. And it was a, it was the feeling that I got was more we've been fighting all weekend. I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed early you know, you do whatever you're going to do and we'll deal with this later, you know? Yeah. So she eventually fell asleep and Mark said that he stayed up late playing some Nintendo. And he half-heartedly packed up some more things into their moving boxes. And it was nearly one in the morning when he came across a 22 rifle and he decided that Lori must die. Why? Because you're a liar. I'm about to break down all the different theories. Okay. Because he only ever says, I don't know why. I don't know why I did it. I loved her so much. She was the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't know why I did it. Yeah, he sounds like a whiny bitch. He is a whiny bitch. So yes, he crept into the quiet bedroom, raised the rifle to his sleeping Pregnant. Pregnant. Wife. Pregnant wife. And shot her once at close range. Mark said that Lori never woke up and that she had died instantly. Like I said, he would claim that he had no idea why he murdered the so-called love of his life. But here are a few ideas. Okay, hit me. First was that Lori threatened to expose his lies to their friends, family, church, community. And he was a narcissist and he couldn't let that happen. Yep. Heard it before. He would rather be a grieving widow. He can move to North Carolina by himself and pretend to be going to medical school there. Yeah, and start all over and meet some new girl. Mm-hmm, that he can dupe. Some believe that it was pure rage at Lori challenging him. Lori's friends and family described her as a spitfire who went back down from a challenge or potentially a confrontation. Sounds like someone else I know. <laughs> is that me or you? You. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I say that's true. I think it's the Aries in me. It Once is. I get going, <laughs> it's it's like and I you're don't so irrational, fights, like. Oh, no, when you get into a fight with me, you better just hang on because it's going to be a roller coaster. You're not going to know which way I'm coming no. at you and I'm not going to stop until it's done and I've won. I'm pretty sure Nathaniel just gives up. He's like, I just, I, fine, whatever, because you're insane.
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah, back to Lori. What they said is that she, you know, was a spitfire. She, she stood up for herself. You know, was there a confrontation about this? Now, Stephen Long in his book, which I could tell you now is called Every Woman's Nightmare. He posited the theory that Mark's Mormon upbringing had something to do with this, that it was a culture in which the men are the heads of the household and eventually their own celestial kingdom and the women are taught to defer to them. So something like Lori challenging him, saying that she's potentially gonna leave him, saying that she is gonna maybe tell everybody about him made him snap, So there was a lot of criticism from, you know, people in the LDS faith who were like, eh, that's not really what we believe. And I don't think that it was because he was Mormon that he killed his wife, you know? No, but if you're raised with certain beliefs
0: surrounding you all the time, I think it could subconsciously affect the way you're acting and what you do.
1: Yeah, Stephen Long talked about how he, you know, made conversations with like cab drivers and people in the area. And this one cab driver was like, oh, my dad and I talked about it and we think it's because she challenged him. And, you know, you don't challenge the head of the household or the man in the Mormon faith. You know, that was basically what he was saying. But there's also just the general things that we see all the time on this show is the old, if I can't have you, no one else can. You know, she was potentially threatening to leave him. And she had recently discovered she was pregnant. And unfortunately, we know that the leading cause of death in pregnant women is homicide. Almost always at the hands of their partner and baby daddy. Yeah. So there is just a myriad reasons. Maybe it was all of them, you know? In any circumstance, it's unbelievably tragic and a completely senseless loss of two lives because... I just don't necessarily think that that note implied that Lori was definitely leaving him. You know, like it sounded like I just want you to change. I want you to stop lying. To me, it sounds like somebody who's exhausted and tired and wants to reconcile with her husband. Yep. That's what it sounded like to me, too. Yeah. And that's what her friends and family said, too. They were like... Lori loved him, you know, and Lori was committed to the marriage. She, you know, had gone through divorce when she was young. She didn't want that to happen to her and her husband. They all felt like she would have 100% worked on the marriage and tried to get Mark help for what is clearly pathological lying, you know? After the murder, Mark went back to the convenience store to buy cigarettes. (gasps) what a scumbag. Mm-hmm. The security camera caught him staring at his hands. Like he's at the counter and he's like staring at his hands as if to look for blood. It's very Lady Macbeth here. Out out damn spot. Yeah. After a smoke break, he began to calculate his disposal plans. Ugh, gross. Mark wrapped Lori in garbage bags, cut the bloody mattress pillow top off of the mattress using the hunting knife that they had discovered with blood on it, and that's how the blood got on it, and then disposed of the mattress in a nearby dumpster, Lori in the dumpster at the hospital he worked at, as witnessed by the security camera footage, and the gun in a third dumpster. He then cleaned the apartment as best he could changed his clothes, concocted the jogging story, dumped her car, walked all the way back to the house, called Lori's work, bought the mattress and bed linens, made the bed, and then hightailed it to the park where he played the distraught husband. So gross. So gross and so conniving. He is doing this in so many steps. Like if he just snapped... I don't think he could have come up with this plan so fast. No. The physical evidence corroborated his confession, and Mark Hacking was arrested for the murder of his wife, Lori Hacking, on August 9th, 2004. The police were able to recover the mattress from the dumpster, but not the gun, nor Lori's body initially. Oh, okay. It's a really sad situation. Basically, the problem with going to the landfill to look for Lori Was that this was an extremely large landfill, number one. And also, all of the trash that went through this landfill first went through a garbage compactor. So there was almost zero hope of finding Lori's body completely intact, which is just so horrifying to hear as a loved one. It's also, I would imagine, really unpleasant to be searching for a person and you don't know what condition they're going to be in, what parts of them you're going to find, you know? Yeah, that's horrifying. Yeah, and this landfill was 550 acres. Oh my God. Yep, they received over 1 million tons of trash annually. 1 million tons, think about that. Whoa. It's also the dead heat of the summer. And of course, trash is hot, you know, and these officers and volunteers are just up uh, to their knees in this hot garbage. I mean, think about how terrible this search must have been. Yeah. But it was absolutely necessary to try to find Lori. One, if it was possible at all to prove that she was pregnant, which then they could get an additional conviction for fetal homicide. Yeah. And then, you know, as usual, just in general for a conviction, but also three, her family desperately wanted to lay her to rest. It was of huge import to them. So dozens of officers and cadaver dogs spent a month methodically searching for Lori. They talked about how they had a process of how they would do it zone by zone. They'd literally like get a bulldozer to move the trash and then like have to go through it with a partner step by step. They ended up logging over 2,000 hours for oh. the people that searched and 712 hours for the dogs. Whoa. Yeah. And I guess they said it was really interesting. Um, you know, people were like, how can a dog even tell what the scent is when you're in a place like the dump that smells so but bad? it's so specific, isn't it? It's so specific. We yeah. just can't understand yeah. it because we're people. We don't have that talent But the dog handler said that they 100% can pick up the smell of blood or, you know, human tissue in even in a place as vast and full of smells as a landfill. Well, the exhaustive and malodorous search did pay off on October 1st when an officer recognized Lori's famous brunette curls peeking out from a plastic bag. It had been Lori's most recognizable feature, both in life and sadly in death. As expected, the trash compactor had mangled her corpse. But they were able to locate Lori's jawbone, and she was positively identified through her unique dental work. Unfortunately, there was absolutely no way to identify whether she would actually been pregnant, or nor how Mark had killed her. If Mark had kept his mouth shut, despite what would have been for sure a cloud of suspicion there's a really real chance that he would have gotten away with murder. In life, Lori had weighed about 110 pounds. In death, her parents would only be able to bury roughly 15 to 30 pounds of their daughter. Oh my God, that's devastating. Yeah, the show I watched said 15, the book said 35, so I'm kind of splitting the difference there. Also, they recovered the t-shirt that Lori was wearing in the convenience store security camera footage. Got it. So they know it was at some point after that. Yep. On October 9th, Lori was laid to rest in the Orem City Cemetery. It was an emotional ceremony. Paul, her brother, thanked the officers for giving them the gift of being able to bury his sister. Seriously.
0: I mean, that's a lot of
1: work that they did after. A lot of work. And the family was very appreciative. The hackings, you know, obviously not with Mark, but the rest of the family attended with Suarez's family's welcome, which I think is very magnanimous. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Lori's mom, Thelma, just said, they're a good family. They didn't cause what Mark did. And I know they loved Lori very much and they wanted to grieve for her as well, you know. But it takes a really big person to say that and realize that. Really big. I mean, Thelma's on the show as well and she's just a monument of a, a very nice and loving woman who went through tragedy. Well, they were having the ceremony, I guess all of Lori's friends and family had contributed their memories of Lori into this poem. And later they gave all of the police officers who had, you know, been in this 2000 hour search copies of the poem so that they could connect with the woman that they'd helped, you know, bury. And I guess it was very emotional. Like the police that were at the ceremony actually were crying, which is, you know, they're hardened detectives and police officers who see, you know, crime and death daily. And they said that it was, so moving that even they were brought to tears and it is it's I'm it's kind of lengthy guys so if you're not into like poetry like skip ahead like 30 seconds maybe a minute but I thought it was worth reading because it really paints this picture of who Lori was in a way that a lot of true crime podcasts can't do you know as much as we try so I wanted to read it to you guys Lori, you are a small town girl with big city sophistication. You are California cool and Las Vegas excitement, but also Washington DC intellect and New York chic. You are summer flip-flops, bright, vibrant colors and basking in the sun. You are spring with great ideas constantly blooming in your head. You are a gorgeous smile radiating warmth on a cold winter's day. You are autumn, never afraid to change or to try something new. You are birthday celebrations at the old spaghetti factory in Trolley Square. You are KBER 101 music and a concert in Park City. You are Diet Cokes at Will's Pit Stop. Extra large, of course. You are cruising around town in your blue bug sporting, Daddy bought it, but I got it. Your rollerblading trips up the canyon, your long conversations on the phone and weekend sleepovers, your training table cheese fries, Wendy's Frosties and Stan's shakes, your V-neck t-shirts and reverse fit jeans, your shopping sprees at learners, always spotting the latest fashion. You are a larger than life personality bounding from a petite frame. You're the host in the life of the party, always good for a laugh. You are teenage fights, not always sure of the reason. You are a roll of your eyes, which tells so much. You are a balanced checkbook and a carefully organized closet. Your goals to be set and then achieved. You are beautiful in every way. You are excellence and perfection, outspoken and determined, feisty and fun. You are a friend to all. You are unconditional love, a best friend who is always there. We will always love you, Lori. We are blessed and grateful to be your friends. That's a really sweet poem. It's really sweet. I mean, you can tell those people
0: just knew her so well, you know? I feel like that's a really good poem for the officers to have too.
1: I think it's, you know, it's good for everybody who is involved in law enforcement or any sort of reporting of these types of crimes to really connect the person to the mission, you know? Within weeks of the burial, Araldo, Lori's father, ended up replacing her name on the headstone. So they had originally put Lori K. Suarez Hacking, and he said that as the weeks went it was really bothering him to have hacking on her gravestone, you know, given that it was her married name and it was her husband who threw her away like trash. So he ended up taking the hacking off and replacing it with his pet name for her, Filhinha, which I'm sure I'm butchering, guys, but it is the Portuguese translation of little daughter, which is what he called her. Really cute. Yeah, it's a very lovely gravestone. There's a beautiful picture of Lori on it. And under her birth date and death date, her parents inscribed our angel baby. While Lori's family was grieving, Mark was in jail making some truly screwed up friends. Oh, God. Mark had convinced the jail personnel that he was suicidal. So he was placed in a different ward with those who had to be separated from the general population for their own safety. <sighs> he ended up in a cell directly next to self-proclaimed prophet and kidnapper-slash-rapist Brian David Mitchell. Wrote Stephen Long, both now infamous, the two struck up a relationship through music. Mitchell, the kidnapper and rapist of Elizabeth Smart, would sing hymns to drown out the noise made by the raucous street gangs engaged in verbal battles among themselves. By March, Hacking summoned the courage to challenge Mitchell to a singing competition and the rapist accepted. Hacking bragged in a letter sent out of the jail that because he was kept so close to the Manson lookalike in his 10 by 12 foot cell, that he might even be summoned to testify in upcoming hearings to determine if the former Smart Family employee was fit to stand trial. Oh my God, these two. Really? The admitted murderer did not reveal in his letters who won the competition, Mitchell singing his hymns or Mark Hacking's renditions of songs he learned as a child, such as Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Could you imagine? Row, 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 go fuck yourself. How about that? Crazy pants over here. Mark's family and attorney advised him to plead guilty to avoid a media circus trial. And that is what he did on April 15th, 2005. Which is good. I think that that was what the family desperately wanted. They didn't want more attention at this yeah, point. no. And in doing so, he also gave up his right to appeal. As part of the hearing, he had to say out loud exactly what he had done when he committed the crime. Mark said, I intentionally shot Lori Hacking in the head with a 22 rifle on July 19th. In her bed while she was sleeping, pregnant with my baby. Mm-hmm. Sentencing wouldn't officially happen for weeks, but everyone knew what to expect. Mark Hacking would get six years to life for murdering his vibrant wife. How is it only six years? So apparently at the time in Utah, that was the maximum sentence for murder for whatever reason. It was five years to life actually, but he got a year tacked on for using a gun in the commission of his crime. Now, they said that generally murderers were never out like anything less than 15 years. It was just something about the verbiage around the sentencing for whatever reason. But of course, this very deeply bothered the Suarez family. It should bother everyone who lives in Utah. Yes, 100 percent. I was shocked. And then when I was telling Nathaniel about this case, he was very much taken aback. So Lori's dad vowed to fight to change this law so that people who murdered their partners would be denied parole for much, much longer than six measly years. Despite the frustrating sentence, Lori's loved ones did look forward to Mark's June 6th sentencing to have their day in court and to finally get closure on it. I mean, they weren't looking forward to it, like in the way that you look forward to something fun. No. They just wanted this to be over, yes, you of know? of course, of course. Yeah. Only days before the sentencing, Mark wrote the Suarez family a letter admitting that he had known that Lori was pregnant when he killed her. He had publicly kept the fact that he was aware that she was expecting a secret until after his guilty plea in order to escape Utah's fetal homicide law. Wow. Can they redact it at all? I don't think so. I think they had a deal. The deal was done, you know. Oh my God, that's disgusting. On June 6th, Mark's family appealed for leniency, stating that they believed his head injury from the roof fall had permanently altered Mark. In a statement, Dr. Hacking would say that Mark had been unable to follow his studies. He had clearly fallen behind. He had failed out and then panicked under the expectations of his family. Dr. Hacking, his father, believed that when confronted with the truth, unfortunately, Mark snapped ok. This, this sounds like a bunch of excuses to me. It is. And basically, the first half of this sentencing hearing was for the defense. so it's it's all of Mark's sisters and brothers and, you know, parents getting up to say what he did was terrible. He feels so much remorse. You know, we pray that he can someday, you know, leave prison a better man and once again contribute to the fabric of society. So they're trying to say, that he does deserve to get out someday. And then Mark makes his own statement and then it's the Suarez family's turn to make their own victim impact statements. So we'll talk about what Mark said. Mark, I mean, it's just really impossible to believe literally anything Mark says. no. And he was crying throughout his entire statement. He even acknowledged the fact that he was such a liar. He said, there is no reason to believe anything I say. From the bottom of my heart... I am so sorry for the pain I caused. I took her life and the babies. I put them in the garbage where they rotted at the landfill. It torments me every waking moment. I'm completely okay with anything that is decided today. I should probably spend the rest of my life in prison. Thank you, Your Honor. He starts
0: the whole thing by saying you should probably not believe anything I'm saying.
1: That's That's the only truthful thing I've ever heard him say. Yeah. I'm going to read you Thelma's words (laughs) as her part of her victim impact statement, but it is, it was heartbreaking. I'm, I'm going to try to like fight back tears, guys, because this, this just absolutely broke my heart. Thelma said, how can I put into words what it is like to lose my only daughter, my unborn grandchild? Mark made sacred covenants to love, honor, and protect them. My beloved child was torn from me by a man I entrusted her to. I have been shattered and betrayed to my very core. After nearly a year, I can barely accept that he put Lori and her child into the trash. Only God knows the real reason why. Mark knew that Lori would rot away and he didn't care. He was even going to commit suicide and no one would have ever known where Lori was. I cannot bear to see garbage trucks. The sound conjures images of her body being torn apart in the trash. For so many years, I took such good care of that body. I fed and diapered it. I got it immunizations. I took her to the doctor, the dentist, the orthodontist. I clothed her. I taught that body how to swim to protect it. I did things to increase her intelligence. I saw that she had worthwhile and beautiful experiences. Mark blew her brains to bits and threw her in the trash. It shocks my senses and boggles my mind that her life was stolen by a man that she loved and trusted.
0: Seriously, though.
1: It just, I think it just broke my heart because you think of as a mother, think of like how concerned you are right now with Echo's diaper rash. I know. Think about how much love and care goes into raising a child and you get them to be an adult and you feel like they met somebody that is going to love them and honor them and care for them. comes from a great family. Yes, a great family and same background as you. The betrayal is more immense than anything I could ever imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, she went on to say that she could only imagine her daughter's heartbreak at finding out the depth of Mark's deception. He lied brilliantly, she said. She was still trying to separate what had occurred actually in reality and what were Mark's lies. They had become so interwoven. Yeah, of course. Of course. And she's a good person. So, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Eraldo spoke lovingly and heartbreakingly of the tiny baby that they had bought home and the sacrifice of the teenage birth mother who had given them the precious gift of Lori for so many years. He wondered in court if there was any way that Lori had still been alive when she was compressed with the trash, saying that the thought of it haunted him. Oh, God, these poor parents. Judge Lindbergh called Mark the poster boy for dishonesty, stating that his lies had cost two lives while also ruining his own. Of she sentenced him to six years to life as well as to pay $120,000 in restitution for the cost of the two searches, the one in the park and the one at the landfill, and to pay into a victim's fund. A month later, it was announced that Mark would serve a minimum of 30 years before his first parole. Not enough. Still not enough. So Lori's dad remained true to his vow. And on March 20th, 2006, Lori's law was signed. (gasps) Yeah. It stipulated that people convicted of first degree murder in Utah must serve at least 15 years in prison before they can even be considered for parole. Mark Hacking's father read a statement to the press following the sentencing in which Mark expressed remorse, his willingness to stay in prison for the rest of his life, to atone for his sins, as well as a warning about lying, saying, you may think a lie only hurts the liar, but this is far from the truth. If you are traveling a path of lies, please stop now and face the consequences. Thanks. Thanks. Well, this liar, liar, pants on fire, faced some consequences, of his own that same month when prison officials discovered that he was secretly selling personal items like autographs and hand tracings on an online site called Murder Auction.
0: Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean hand tracing? Like a hand tracing like when you make a turkey?
1: When you're in preschool and you make a turkey. Yeah, like that. That's what this mother effer was selling. (gasps) On a site called
0: Murder Auction. Wow. Did he make them, the hand tracings, look like turkeys?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if he like sold them for extra. It's like yeah, plain it's like holiday hand tracing. tracing. A dollar, but like turkeys, it's $5. Oh
0: my God, this fucking loser.
1: Mark Hacking, loser extreme and inmate 167089, is still incarcerated and will have his first parole hearing in 2034. He still writes Thelma from prison. She said she does not return his letters, but she says that she has since forgiven him, at least, you know, spiritually. And she says that that was due to the example and the help of her faith. Thelma and Araldo did establish a memorial scholarship fund in Lori's name intended to help young women attend business school. The first recipient of the scholarship graduated in 2011. As of 2011, the fund had grown to nearly $200,000. And so many different types of people from all walks of life contributed to this fund. Oprah Winfrey donated $50,000 at the top end. Stop. Stop. And the lowest donation... Was $1 and one dime sent in from a little boy who said it was the contents of his piggy bank? <laughs> not the sweetest, most devastating thing you've ever heard.
0: Yeah. Like, why does he know about th-
1: that? Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe he was related to somebody involved. Who knows? So I could not find an active donation website. And I, I did a considerable amount of Googling, but doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So if you guys find about, out about it, if you know about the Lori Suarez, I'm assuming, you know, scholarship fund, please send us a link so that Andy and I can make a contribution.
0: Oh God, I can't believe you couldn't find it.
1: I could not find it. Yeah, there they were 404 on me when I found articles about the fund. Okay. So yeah, I I mean, I'm just honestly just so in awe of this family and all of the families who do something beautiful with their grief. Like, I'm sure that this scholarship fund helped dozens of students in need. And let's not forget Lori's Law, you know? Yeah. I mean, that family did a lot in the tragic aftermath of losing their baby. They really did. So, you know, God bless the Suarez family. And I hope everyone is healing. And thank you guys so much for this recommendation. I think that Lori is absolutely a woman who deserves to be remembered and talked about for the life that she lived. And I mean, she accomplished so much in her short 27 years, you know. In conclusion, hey guys, as a true crime community, can we like not buy stuff from murderers, including some very, very shitty hand tracings and little turkey paws? Yeah, you'll definitely be on the shit list if you do. Yeah, it's gross. We don't gross. need to give them any
0: money. No. Let's just not do it. Not also, do it. Also, let's like not be a liar or like tolerate liars or encourage liars That's or A good one, Andy. Mm-hmm. That is
1: a good one. You know, like so often they're like you know, don't trust people or, you know, think about everything they say, but how about people just stop lying? Yep. Can you can y'all you just stop lying? Yep. <laughs> liars suck. Liar liar pants on fire. So, as always, Trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered. Happy New Year. Year. We've got a dope 2022 coming to you guys. I am getting the cases all figured out right now. Probably post something to the gram with all the books that I'm going to be using. So get very excited. We love you guys a lot. Love you. Bye. Bye.